0: Welcome to the LifeHouse Church podcast. LifeHouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. All right, well, we are 2024 is the year of what at LifeHouse? Come on, my people. Let's go. Year of better, and we're choosing what is better. This comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, which is kind of our theme verse for the whole year. It's a story of two ladies in the Bible that are with Jesus, Mary and Martha, that we just don't believe is just a story of two ladies. It's two ways to live our lives as followers of Jesus, the Mary way and the Martha way. And I want to read for you again those scriptures real quick, just, just for a quick recap and then we'll dive in it says as jesus and his disciples are on their way he came to a village where a woman named martha opened her home to him she had a sister called mary who sat at the lord's feet listening to what he said but martha was distracted everyone say this everyone say distract. distract she was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made she came to him and asked lord don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself tell her to help me martha martha and the lord answered you are worried and upset everyone say worried and upset yeah, about many things, but few things are needed, actually only one. And Mary, who was at the feet of Jesus, listening to him and attentive to him, it says only Mary has chosen what is better. Everyone say chosen what is better. Chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So we've been saying the Martha way is you're worried, distracted, and upset. The Mary way is you're listening, attentive to, and at the feet of Jesus. And you are doing this not just if if you're in church or in your prayer closet or you're spending time with God, but actually living as Mary, listening to, attentive, and at the feet of Jesus can actually be a way of life you live in and the posture of your heart in the midst of your crazy, insane life. So we've been encouraging us to live better. The better way is being with Jesus. All right? So we have kind of done some sub, a a sub-series within this. We started talking about better relationships, and we're doing a sub-series within a sub-series. Within the better relationship series, we're doing better marriage. Turn to someone and say, better marriage. marriage. Hopefully you turn to the person that you want to have a better marriage with, right? Um, Better marriage. We're going to talk about better marriage today, okay? And before we talk about marriage, I think it's important to just know we are wading into some sensitive waters, When you talk about marriage, right, you talk about some of um, the highest highs and the lowest lows. You can get into places of people's uh, greatest blessings and greatest pains. Um, And my job um, as the pastor of this church is to be a shepherd. That's what a pastor does. I shepherd. I'm called to shepherd. And what do shepherds do? They lead the flock. They guide the flock. They feed the flock. They protect the flock. So I pray you know that my heart today is to do just those things, right? So my heart is to not guilt and shame and condemn. I know there's a lot of different unique nuance situations here when it comes to marriage, and just just know I am trying to cover a lot in a little bit of time, and 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 so I'm not going to get to everything, but I do hope to add value. My heart is not to condemn or shame or guilt. We don't do that at LifeHouse. We don't think really there can be deep-seated, rooted, change for if you're guilted or shamed or condemned. We don't believe that's the way Jesus did it. And so we want to invite you into something better. We believe that's what Jesus does. So that's what we hope to do today as we talk about better marriage. Cool? That sound good? So before we dive into the topic, better marriage, I do want to invite you, if you want to join us for a Better Marriage Weekend, Come on, somebody. So if you would like to invest in your marriage, uh, we're going to be taking Friday, April 19th to Saturday, April 20th. And we're, 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 we're going to be taking some time and investing uh, so we can have a better marriage. We're calling it Better Marriage Weekend. If you'd like more information about that and to sign, and to sign up, you can text LOVE to 757-690-2401. We have limited avail- availability, and these normally fill up fast. So if you want more information about that, please text LOVE uh, to get the information about that, and we will let you know. All right, so better marriage. I think it's important before we talk about better marriage uh, that we talk about the state of marriage. State of marriage is struggling. All right, 50% of couples, and the thing is, it don't even matter if you're Christian. The same divorce rate in the church is the same divorce rate in the world. And let's just be candid. Like, marriage is hard. We got people that are, like, giving amens to that, right? Like, Like, yes, it's hard. But it's also true, though, like, I remember talking about this a couple years back and I remember a person come up to me after service and they were like, John, you always talk about how hard marriage is. My marriage is great. I'm like, well, good for you. <laughs> good. Rub it in all of our faces. Why don't you? You know, so here's the thing. right? We understand that there are some marriages here. You're in a great place, a great spot. You're in a great season. We celebrate that. But that's just not true for most. Because marriage is, it it, it. it is something. And, So we're going to dive into that today, and um, but but so kind of what I see with with the culture, the culture is getting away from marriage, right? It's 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 kind of like people are waiting longer or not even wanting to engage in it at all. A lot of people who are married are not happy, you know, and and so it's kind of like there is this like demonization of marriage, right? But what I've seen actually in the church over the past many years is marriage becomes idolized to where it actually becomes like something that we can promote that makes singles feel like second like second level, second like lesser creatures, right? And um, so really I think the goal when talking about marriage isn't to demonize it like the culture, idolize it like the church does. I'm, you know, if you at Lifehouse same amount of time, you know I make up words to make a point. So I'm doing it for this one, okay? We don't need to idolize it, demonize it, we need to properize it. And what I mean by properizing is putting marriage in its proper place of not idolizing it as being the most thing that God is most happy about, but not demonizing it and throwing it away like culture is doing. We have to put it in its proper place. So before I dive into talking about a better marriage and what that looks like, I feel like I I need to read a few scriptures and just give you a few reminders about where marriage needs to be when it comes to kind of the kingdom of God and following Jesus. So we don't idolize or demonize, we properize it. So I want to read you a couple portions of scripture. Uh, One is in the book of Luke. This is Jesus teaching, and this is what it says, and then I'm gonna read this and then I'm gonna give you some translation, right? So this is Jesus. He says, Jesus replied, and Jesus was replying to someone that was asking him a ridiculous question. Someone that was trying to get divorced to be okay. And so Jesus like saw through what they were doing and what they were trying to trap him with and kind of just gave him an answer he wasn't expecting, right? So he says, Jesus replied, marriage is for people here on earth, but in the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they will never die again. In this respect, they're like the angels. We don't have to read the other, the other verses. So let me tell you what Jesus was saying here. Jesus was saying marriage is fine, but it's not eternal. So, you know, we like to say, like, yeah, I'm going to go see my husband Earl up in heaven. I don't know why I went country. But, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, you know, and, and I just don't know if, like, we're going to be so one with Christ at that moment I don't know if we're going to care who we were one with while we're on earth. We're gonna be, why? Because marriage in its ultimate picture is marriage is a picture of oneness that we are going to have with God himself, right? So not that marriage is not important, but at the same time, Jesus even said it is not eternal, that it is human relationship. It is for people here on earth, and when we get to heaven, I, I don't even think we'll care who we were married to when we were here, Y'all see what I'm saying? We got to put it in its proper place. Now, let's get into some stuff that Paul said. Paul was a church planter. So Paul would go into different cities. That's why you even have the different letters in the Bible. Ephesus, or, you know, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians. These are all letters that Paul wrote to different churches he planted. Paul was an apostle. An apostle was somebody that would go and start different works start churches in different places. Paul would go into a city. He would preach the gospel. He would heal people, and people would start to follow Jesus. So then he would basically, okay, cool. We got a group of followers of Jesus here. He would say, okay, who was really serious? He would take from those groups of people that were following Jesus. He would raise up elders and raise up leaders. He would set them in place to oversee things, and then Paul was like, I'm out, bro. I got to go to this city. That's what he did, right? He was an apostle. He was a church planner, and so but what would happen is when he would start the church and he would leave, people from that church would send him questions. So they'd be like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And that's why we get some of the letters we have in the Bible, which is Paul addressing questions. And there's a question he got. So can you go ahead and put up uh, this, right? So it's, um, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 38. I need you to, re- so this is what they tell you not to do in seminary class, is read a large chunk of scripture in church, because y'all might tune, tune out. Can we be bigger than that? Can we tune in? We're going to read a lot. We're going to read 13 verses here. It's going to be a lot, I know, but it's going to be interesting, so I want y'all to make sure you are locked in, okay? So this is Paul here. He says, now regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married. So he's like, y'all sent me a question about ladies, about young ladies who are not married yet. So this is, so this is where he's going into. He says, I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. So Paul's like, You know, I don't know if I heard Jesus specifically say this, but I got some wisdom that I feel like I need to share through the Holy Spirit. He says, because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it ain't a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And everyone said amen. And I am trying to spare you of those problems. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them, for this world as we know it is soon passing away. He says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him, but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife, as we should, men, right? Amen. Amen. Dag on right. Right? Now But it says his interests are divided. In the same way a woman who is no longer married, or who is no longer married or has never been married, can be devoted to the Lord, and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about how her earthly think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. On all the men said, Amen. That was really weak, man. Can we try that one more time? <laughs> Amen. Okay. It says, but if he has decided, no, it says, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever, everyone say whatever. whatever. In the Greek, that means whatever. <laughs> whatever will help you serve the Lord the best with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks he's treating his fiancee improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, we're adults, we know what that means. Let him marry her as he wishes. It is not a sin. But if he has decided firmly not to marry and there is no urgency and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries, his fiancee does well. And the person who doesn't marry does what? Even better. Even better can you see the minefield Paul is walking through? He's like, hey, marriage is hard. You're going to be divided. So I, But I ain't saying it's a sin to get married. But if you got some passion, the context for this passion being, unpa- being released is marriage. But, If you get married, you ain't sinning, but you're going to be distracted. But if you don't get married, you do even better. You see what Paul's doing here. And do you see how how this has not been taught in church? Right? This has not been taught in church because this is nuanced and layered, but do you hear Paul's shepherding heart? He's like, I need y'all to know, time is short, y'all. We ain't got much time on this planet, and I want you to be as useful for the Lord as possible. But if you got that passion rolling, you want to get married, I'm not saying you can't, but if you do, just know what you're getting yourself into. But it, 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 it ain't a sin. You know what I feel like Paul is doing here? He's putting marriage in its proper place, he's properizing it. He's like, it ain't a sin, but just know it probably ain't gonna be the greatest. So y'all here in my heart, you got Jesus saying marriage is not eternal, it's temporary. Or yeah, it's it's not eternal, it's temporary. So in light of the fact that it's not eternal, it should affect how you live your temporary lives in, in marriage. And so then with the Apostle Paul, do you see his heart in sharing? Like y'all, it's like you can have this relationship, go for it, but it's going to be divided and I just felt like before we dive into better marriage and how we're going to do things, that we put marriage in its proper place. Let's not idolize it. Let's not demonize it. Let's properize it. To me, this gives us a firm foundation to walk through. I need a couple to come and help me do an illustration. Who is bold enough? A married couple to come and do an illustration. Just going to invite you to come up. Just going to. Invite you, whoever you are, just, just gonna believe the Lord to provide, and we'll wait here until two p.m. Do we have somebody coming? Okay, you got the seasoned folk. The seasoned folk, come on down. Huh? Price is right. Come on down. Huh? <laughs> Love these people. Good to see you. Good to see you, brother. <laughs> my man. All right, now I since 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 I just got done preaching. Last service we had we had starting we had starting points. My mind is 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 like numb. I need y'all to help me remember. No, Pe- can y'all help me remember y'all's names? Tim, Tim, Petra. Petra. Okay, Tucker. That's right. Tim and Tim and. And Petra Tucker, okay. So, one thing I love about Tim. Tim, how old are you? Uh, 16th, I'll be 74. Come on, 74. <laughs> what I love about Tim, whenever we sat down with him, I, I still remember the time we sat down with him. They had a completed Life Track, and we we're sitting, sitting down with them, walking through kind of what it looks like to be a part of our church. And I still remember Tim sharing um, his desire to know Jesus, 74 years old. I said, Lord, I want to be, I want to have the heart of Tim, where I'm 74 years old, and I'm just as hungry now. I mean, he's he's hungry for Jesus, man. He wants to know him, be like him, be changed and transformed, and I'm like, that is the heart of Lifehouse, man. No matter how old you are, if you're not dead, God's not done, you know know what I'm saying? So, Tim, I just really appreciate that heart in you, man. I, I will always remember that conversation. So, anyway, all right, so. All right, so the way I think about marriage, right, or, or the way that I think the Lord is calling us to look, right, is there's kind of three different ways that we can look at marriage. Number one, all right, so y'all kind of just like, you know, look at each other, okay, is, oh, Jesus. Uh, no, uh, um, it, it's, it's like I feel like there's three different ways, right? So kind of one is um, you, you look at yourself. Right, so kind of just like look down at your at your right? So you're kind of like looking at at you marriage is kind of, you know, like you're together, but you're kind of more selfish and you're kind of more self focused. It's kind of more like what can this other person off offer me, right? It's kind of like what, like how can you meet my needs? How can, how can I use you to get what I want, right? So there's kind of like that's kind of of like one way. The second way is you look at each other. Homeboys over here giving a wink. You're <laughs> trying to get them seeds in the ground. I'm just kidding. <laughs> For later. No, but um. And and here is like, whenever you look at when whenever you spend too much time focusing on the other person, that's when you'll typically idolize them or demonize them. Because you can look at them and you can be so focused on them and you can be finding so much joy and so much person. You complete me. You're my every everything that, that, that you are like looking at them and you are expecting them to fill something only God himself can fill. Okay, or you're looking at them and all you're seeing is their flaws. Because this is what can happen. You either idolize them or you're demonizing them and the opposites that attracted you, they're now attacking each other. Oh, I just loved how he was so, so, he was so so calming to me. You know, I was so erratic and he would just calm me and give me perspective and talk to me. But now he can't freaking make a decision because he thinks too much, right? So what you enjoyed is actually getting on your nerves now. It's like, oh, she was so spontaneous; she just got me out of my comfort zone. And now she's so spontaneous; she just leaves piles all over the house. The, 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 right? It's, it's like, so, so, like the things that were like attracting you, that they're now attacking because all you're doing is looking at them. So you're seeing every wrong thing. You're, you're being nitpicky and. And y'all, that can be a way to do things. You idolize, demonize. But then what I think God wants us to invite us to what is better, better marriage, is to get the eyes off of each other and to look up. Go ahead and look up, Tim. So you've got two people together, committed in covenant marriage. But they're not, they're together. But together, they're putting their eyes on Jesus. This is the better way. And just think, this is what Mary was doing at the feet of Jesus, listening, attentive to Jesus. And what if two people in marriage were at Jesus' feet, listening, attentive, and more focused on what Jesus is saying and what Jesus wants to do in them more than looking at their spouse, demonizing them, or idolizing them? This is the heart of better marriage, guys. This is what we're gonna dive into today is how can we get to this point where we're staring at God more than staring at our spouses or staring more at ourselves? Amen. Amen. I appreciate you, Tim. appreciate you, girl. Thank you. Yeah, better give that man a kiss. Come on. This is what Francis Chan says. He says, if we don't stare at God, we'll spend our time staring at lesser things, namely ourselves. This is a mistake a lot of couples make. They spend a lot of time looking at themselves and each other, but very little time staring at God. When this is the focus they naturally begin to structure every 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 aspect of their lives around the few years they have with each other on earth rather than the millions they will spend in his presence. we've got to properize it. we've got to put marriage in its proper place, and the place we're called to be is two people sitting at, looking up at, being attentive to listening, and following Jesus. This is what better marriage is. so I 'm going to give you three thoughts of how we can have a better marriage okay you got you guys cool with that. I got 25 minutes to do this, so y'all can pray for your brother, okay? We're going to make this happen, all right? Number one, better marriages are built on covenant, built on covenant, because you're going to view marriage one of two ways, as a covenant or a contract, and there are contractual aspects of a covenant marriage, but you're going to view it one of two ways, a covenant or a contract. One of the things we do that if you are receiving marriage coaching from us, we use um, something called Simbis, which is which which stands for saving your marriage before it starts. And one of the things that Simbis does, right, it it takes the two people that are getting m- married or they are married and they want and they want to do some investing and in working on their marriage, is they fill out an assessment that takes about thirty to forty five minutes. The assessment spits out a, like a fifteen page report that talks a lot a bit about the person's personality, how they view conflict, how they view. Money, how they view sex, how they view family, like all of these different things. But one of the first things it dives into is someone's marriage mindset. Like, oh, like when you sift through the conflict, all the practical things we like to dive into that we think will make our marriage better, it sifts through all that and starts with what is your marriage mindset? What either through nature or or nurture have you developed to be? bedrock of what you believe and think about marriage and I believe many of us if we get to bedrock because of the culture we live in very rarely see marriage as a covenant many times we see it as a contract because let's just be honest we're in a contract culture man a contract culture right everything is like okay and 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 this is what I say whenever I do weddings like I do this exact spiel Why? Because I want the couple to know that as we are standing before God, I'm going to sign your piece of paper later. That's the contractual part to make you be legally married in the the eyes of the state. But I need to let them know I'm signing a piece of paper, but also know y'all are standing here before a holy God. So there is a contractual part, But beyond the contractual part, there is a covenant thing that is going on here between two people, not just before a pastor, not just before a crowd, but before a holy, reverent God who made and created the marriage covenant. Why? Because I need to know this is sacred. This is not something we just go into to just do what the culture tells you. We are operating in and functioning in something that God himself created and God himself had in mind. And we have to understand, the reason God made marriage a covenant is because he himself is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping, covenant-fulfilling God. He's a God of covenant. He's a God of covenant. So one of the ways that God calls married couples to, to walk in and to function as is as a covenant partnership after and similar to the covenant relationship that God has made with us. That's why it's so important that both of you, if you're going to get married, you, are, you ensure that both of you are followers of Jesus. And I know that's so old school. I, 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 I know that's not what the culture tells you. Why? Because if you are not aligned on who you, on what God you serve it can't not help but dictate how the rest of the marriage is probably going to go. It will flow from the head down. And so that that is why, like, as, as you start to follow Jesus and you start to learn about the commitment that God made to you when you did not deserve it, when you were not good enough, when Scripture tells us when you were dead in your sins and trespasses, He made you alive with Christ. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God made a, started and made a covenant with you that wasn't based on how good you were, how much you were accomplishing, based on how good you were keeping your side of the bargain. He put in place a covenant and said, I'm going to go and I'm going to make a better covenant, what scripture calls the new covenant in the blood of Christ. Meaning, I am going to essentially spread my arms out and be crucified in your place and for your sin, rise and defeat your three, greatest, your three greatest enemies, Satan, sin, and death, and I'm going to present to you the opportunity to come into covenant relationship with me. And as we make a decision to join that covenant, we come into covenant relationship with God, which then becomes the model for what a covenant relationship with each other looks like. Because here's the thing, if you don't understand and receive covenant love from God, it will be hard for us to understand and live out covenant love for someone else. Because if you don't realize what God has given, you'll have a hard time giving it. Because what what I tell couples when we're standing at the altar, right, you got him there, her there, I'm like, hey, Joe, you are going to sin against Mary. And Mary, you're going to sin against Joe. And the whole crowd says, amen. That's what they always, they're like, amen. And I say, if you have a contract mindset coming into, this, coming into this marriage, when the other person doesn't do their end of the bargain, you will condemn them, you will damn them, and you will make them pay and you'll punish them. Because that's what a contract does. I said, but if, if you view this as a covenant, that you are serving a God that didn't say to you, take your end of the bargain first, then I'll give, then then I will do my end. But you take on the fact that a covenant is God going first and a covenant is saying, I choose you. If you have the covenant love as the basis of your relationship, what will, what will end up happening is you'll actually, when the other person fails, when the other person doesn't do their end of the bargain, instead of rejecting them and cursing them and throwing them down, you'll actually reach out your hand and say, I forgive you. Why? Because you've been forgiven by God. Now, trust me. There are things that if there is abuse, if there is, if, if there is like infidelity. I'm not talking about massive things like that that probably need to be taken to a to a counselor, a pastor, and walk through and talk through in a process of forgiveness set in place. But I'm talking about the normal, everyday stuff that happens in marriage. You do you hear what I'm saying? Where if there's stuff like that happening, you need to come and see the pastor. You need to go and see maybe someone from the law, <laughs> right? But when you have a contract mindset, when somebody fails, you'll give them what they deserve. Not realizing God doesn't give you what you deserve. And here's the thing, guys. Contract love says, I'll try you. Covenant love says, I choose you. Y'all, we are, we're in such a unique time where we want to try covenant before we actually choose it. Let me just tell you guys, that's not the way it works. This whole, you know, drive it before you buy it thing, that's for cars. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be funny. Like, literally, I am from my, my, my heart and call to shepherd you well. Trying to practice covenant before you make the covenant is not God's best. Nor the example that God set. He didn't say, hey, show me you're worthy before I commit to you. How many relationships you bear the weight of this, though? Your guy says, yeah, let's go ahead and live together. Like, okay. And what you don't know is that he's actually trying you out before he wants to commit to you. I don't have any daughters. But if I did... I don't know what I would do. (laughs) My daughter is not something you try out. My daughter would be someone you commit to. Right? And I think men, sometimes we have to understand the woman you're with or dating or whatever, that's someone's daughter. Not just someone's daughter, it's God's daughter. And she deserves to be treated as such. And that means you don't try her out. And here's here's the, here's the thing, right? I I know the pushback from that, but John, you don't understand how much it costs to live, <laughs> right? Like we're just trying to make it, right? We're just trying to. I understand all the practical implications to like like and. But let me tell you this, y'all. Like it's because like what what typically how you start is how you're gonna finish. Now, that's not always. You're like, yeah, John, will we live together and things have turned out great. I'm glad God drew a straight line with a crooked stick, okay? And God will choose to do that. But just because it's worked for one or two people doesn't mean it's a standard that God wants to continually see happen. Right? And, and so my heart is, is that if is we have to start, like, it's, it's covenant. It's not contract. Covenant is I choose you, I commit to you before I want to reap the benefits of what a covenant marriage is. I'm going to commit to the covenant. But I believe that if we're going to both have heads that look up and receive from Jesus, it begins when we, like, the only reason we can lift our heads up is because of the covenant relationship God made with us. He said, I choose you. I want to be with you. And I believe that some of you, you might need to even renew your covenant love for your spouse. Because it has waned. Y'all, that's what happens. Kristen and I—we redid our vows after 15 years. This year, why? Because we're completely different people. I didn't even know what I was getting myself into 15 years ago. I was just happy because I had a lot of passion that I could get out. (laughs) And then you realize, beyond all the passion, you got a person that you're called to love and serve. So I think there might be some of y'all that might need to renew your love, renew that covenant of love you have for your spouse. Better marriages aren't just the covenant. Better marriages are a witness. One of the reasons why we lack happiness in marriage many times is we're too focused on happiness. And I just think we have to understand marriage, and this is a hard pill to swallow because this is not the culture, but marriage is not created for you to be happy. Now, Can you be happy in marriage? Absolutely, we hope you are. That that can be a great thing to have. But I just want to let you know, happiness is not the ultimate goal God had in mind for marriage. Ultimately, what God had in mind for marriage is for it to be a witness to the world of who God is and what God's like. The first relationship that God made outside of himself was a marriage. Why? Because it was two becoming one, serving a God who is three, yet one. Y'all hearing me? We, we believe God is a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, like that, that he's three, that the Father is fully God, the Son is fully God, the Spirit is fully God. They are uniquely God, separate, distinct, unique, yet at the same time, they are one and they dwell in, 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 in this continuum of love and sacrifice and submission to each other. They, they all have unique roles and distinct positions and roles they play. Think about this. Jesus was on earth. He said, I only do the will of who? Who? my father. Jesus said, if I don't leave the earth and go up there, I can't send you who? The Holy Spirit. Spirit. Do you see the submission to each other? The purpose that each part of the Trinity played. They were unique and distinct, separate, yet they were one. Marriage is the same way. Husbands and wives, they come together to become one flesh. They are unique, distinct, and separate, yet when they come together, they take their Uniqueness and their separateness and their oneness, and they come together and they come together as one, unique and distinct and separate, yet coming together to dwell in a perfect harmony together, living together as God Himself dwells and lives as Father, Son, and Spirit. Are y'all seeing that? It's a beautiful thing, guys. So it's bigger than just your happiness, it's that you can be a witness to share and show the world who God is and what God's like. Let me talk to you a little bit about this oneness real quick. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Uh, this is the, the verse that says, hear o, hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That word one is the Greek as the Hebrew word echad. Everyone say echad. You just got to act like you're coughing up a loogie, echad, right? Um, so that is the Hebrew word for one, and it means plurality, yet one. So then you go into Genesis two twenty four Matthew nineteen five Ephesians 5, 5, 31. And this word one is going to be used in the context of two becoming one. And the reason I've got three different verses up here is because the first verse is from the Old Testament in Genesis. The, book, uh, the one in Matthew is from the teachings of Jesus. And then the one in Ephesians 5 is actually from, uh, from Paul. And when you're trying to come up with this, with if, if, if something is true and legit and a doctrine in the Bible. You want to look at all three places, the Old Testament, the teachings of Jesus, and the writings of Paul, and say, is there unity and synergy here? And what you see here, Genesis 2, 24, says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become echad, flesh. Matthew 19, 5, and, and this is Jesus quoting Genesis. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become echad, flesh. Ephesians 5.31, this is Paul. He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become ichad flesh. Why, John, why are you hawking loogies? It's because I need you to know as God was one, yet, yet he was three, marriage is one, yet husband and wife, two, become one. So marriage at its core is this. Marriage, the ultimate purpose of marriage is not your happiness. Can you be happy? Yes, but the ultimate purpose of marriage is here's the thing. This is what God is like that you can be a witness. Can you put that slide up? Yeah, this is what God is like. This is what God is like. I love what Francis Chan says. He says this. He says, does your marriage stand out in this generation? This relationship was designed to reflect God's glory. We will either shine a light that makes sense as a child of God, or we take part in the crookedness and depravity of the world around us. In a way, if we don't get it right in our marriage relationships, it won't really matter how well we do beyond that. Marriage is a big deal when you think about it, that way, God does so much work in our minds and hearts through, his re- through, through this relationship. Marriage is one of the most humbling, sanctifying journeys you will ever be a part of. Everyone said amen. I mean, it forces us to wrestle with our selfishness and pride, but it also gives us a platform to display love and commitment. A quote I heard recently, we are God's plan to make it believable that he is good and loving and true. God has always chosen to reveal himself through people. Just as he used the nation of Israel to show the world who the one true God was, he calls us to represent him to the world around us. Our lives should make it believable that there is a God. The way we love our spouses should make the love of Christ believable and true. Wouldn't it be incredible to know that your marriage actually drew someone into a relationship with Christ? People need to see God in you as you love your spouse. The world desperately needs to see an accurate reflection of Christ in the church and our marriages because this is about God's glory. My prayer is that as you see, that as you both look up to Jesus, as you stare at him, people will actually notice you staring at him as you're treating each other as Christ does. Why? Because your marriage is so much not just about your happiness. It's about a witness. It's about you sharing and showing the world who God is and what God's like. Isn't this some of the most beautiful things? How many of you have ever seen the movie The Notebook? Can't even believe I'm talking about this. I didn't do this in first service. But one of the most amazing things about that movie is how that man loves his wife. All the ladies like, yes! <laughs> it's that notebook, man. It's, it's like because he is sitting there with her just wanting to get that one moment where there is connection, where he, where she understands and realizes this, this is my husband whom I love. He's fulfilling his covenant to her in sickness and in health. Isn't there something beautiful about that? Isn't that the way it, like, we are the woman in that movie. We have spiritual amnesia. We are consistently forgetting who we are, who God says, who's God called us to be. And it's, and it's just like God's like, I love you. I died for you. And we have those moments of recognition, right? Where we're like, Jesus! and then we end up forgetting everything, right? But does he stay committed to us? He does. Isn't that a picture, y'all? But that's what we have the opportunity to do, is to love and serve and share and show the world this is who God is and what God's like. All right, next, lastly. Better marriages focus on discipleship. just want to remind you, I know there's a lot of stuff we can focus on, but one of the The most important aim and focus of your life is you becoming more like Jesus, in case you didn't know. Everything else pales in comparison to you being formed and shaped to be more like Jesus, to you becoming what I call a sanctified version of you. What I love is Jesus will take who you are and how he's wired you to be and all your different personality and your different, uh, you know, what do you call those, those things about people? Idiosyncrasies, quirks, he'll take those and he will make you into a sanctified version of you. A Jesus-like version of you. Even one of the things Dallas Willard says, he's like, the goal of discipleship is for your is is for for literally Jesus to like do, like to, to be the version of what you do. So let's say you go to the shipyard and you are a pipe fitter, right? It like you becoming a jesus type jesus like pipe fitter right like if jesus was a pipe fitter what would he be like if jesus was a teacher in high school how would jesus be a teacher in high school and as we all take on this call to go and be jesus wherever we go we actually take jesus to wherever we go that's why the church is at its most powerful state not when we are gathered but when we are scattered because when we are gathered, we worship, we celebrate, we hear God's word. But the most powerful part of the church is when we scatter. Because when the church understands its, its purpose to come together and worship Christ, and be, you know, but then we go and we beat Christ and we go to all the different places and workplaces and families and contexts and hobbies and baseball fields and supermarkets, doc, doctor's offices, all of these different places, the church is at its most powerful place when it goes and scatters. Why? Because Jesus are spread all around the city, all around the area. That's why it is imperative that whenever we look at marriage, one of the ultimate lenses we see it through is when Jesus said, go and make disciples. Be a disciple that makes a disciple. In other words, being a disciple, someone that follows Jesus, like your life is oriented, reoriented around becoming like Jesus. And as a couple, what if we thought about, am I preparing my spouse to stand before God on judgment day? Have you ever thought about that? I remember reading that in Francis Chan's book, and I just remember like sitting on the ground and being like, oh man. I mean, just think about husband and wife. Are you preparing and helping your spouse stand before God on Judgment Day? It kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? And it's like, are you being disciples that are making an environment of discipleship in your home? Parents, I want to remind you, it is your call and your first responsibility to help your children be followers of Jesus. It is not the church's main job. It is your call and your job. And I want to specifically speak to men because you are the CEO, the pastor of your home. Okay? That is, you know, it's because like here's the thing, right? Whenever um, we read the Bible, we see that God put men in a place of authority, not to dominate, not to be a jerk, not to be domineering, but in a place of authority, which which translates into responsibility. Think about it. When Eve sinned, who did God come looking for? He said, Adam, where are you? Because though Adam sinned first, Adam was held as the authority, as ultimately responsible. And what I want to encourage you with, men, is that ultimately you are head responsible for your home. You are responsible for the spiritual atmosphere in your home, you are the main person responsible to say, is there an environment of discipleship of our kids becoming more like Jesus? It is your responsibility. Now, in saying that, I know some of you like feel that weight and you're like, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm even having trouble following, following Jesus. And what I would encourage you to do, one of the most helpful things you can do in order to lead your home to, to, follow, to follow Jesus is you train and work on you following Jesus. So what I would encourage you to do on Tuesday nights at 6.30, we have a band of brothers, 25 to 30 guys that gather at Velocity Church. And it's an amazing atmosphere of getting around other men who are at all different levels in their faith. Some are, you know, like, but it is the most encouraging thing to hear, like somebody shared shared the other day. This was actually on Wednesday night. He actually shared with me, I prayed with my wife for the first time last week. I said, brother, you better. I about jumped out of my seat and did a lap around the yard and threw my Bible up and was like, that's what I'm talking about, baby. <laughs> Why? Because when I hear that, I hear spiritual legacy. I hear man stepping into what God has called him to do to lead his family lovingly as Christ leads the church, right? And, if, and what I see as, as revival, as God moving, re-moving in, in a people is when the men step up and take their God-given responsibility to lead in the home, in the church, as men of God. Not that, not that it's domineering, but it's in a way that loves and serves and wants the best. And that is why, you know, just, you know, just kind of consider this. Um, there's a 0. 0.0296 chance that your child will become a professional athlete. Yet how many people do I see sacrifice their spiritual lives for travel teams? Not against travel teams. Look, we don't condemn shame or guilt. We don't do that stuff here. But all I'm saying is, as a parent, are you just as passionate about ensuring your kid practices their faith as much as they practice shooting a ball? Because you can ensure your kid is academically successful, you know, financially successful, sports successful, but not give them the most important, which is their relationship with God, successful. And that's why we have to say, are we creating an environment in our home where that is prioritized? Not just by saying we're going to go to church, but is it prioritized with, hey, we're going to pray together as a family. Hey, we're going to come together and we're going to do, read the Bible together. Hey, we're going to come together and we're going to do things as a family that are going to encourage spiritual growth. And, and y'all, can I just say, this is freaking hard. Freaking, I probably shouldn't say that. This, this is hard. It's hard. I'm a pastor. It's hard. Like, I'm a pastor. This is what I do, and I get home, and I feel helpless sometimes with the wear hurricane. Trying to get them to sit down, read the Bible, sit down, pray. I mean, my kids, I'm like, Jesus, they're they about to see you quick, Jesus. About to see you quick. Right? And there's many things that I haven't done well, and there's many things that I want to put into place because I can, I can be guilty of planning so much for the church that I don't even plan for my home. I can have spiritual plans for my home, what we're, or for the church, what we're gonna do, what we're gonna do, and I'm like, do I even have any plans for my spiritual development of my kids? But it's like, here's the thing, right? I, I failed a lot in this and practicing, and y'all, it's a lot of practicing and trying and trying again, but one of the things that I have been faithful to do that has really stuck is praying over my kids every night. Every night, pray over them. Even if I'm mad at them, I'm gonna give them an eight-word prayer. God bless them, protect them, love them, bye. You know, like just something, right? But they they won't go to sleep without being prayed over. They won't do it. I'll be out of town. Can you call that And trust me, it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm so great. I'm, I'm just glad that something that I have tried has stuck, that they feel a safety. They, they feel protected. They feel loved whenever dad lays his hands on them and prays over them. And I'm just, you know, hopefully and believing that's one of the things that I can leave behind so then they'll go. And then even, it's even cool because even my oldest son has started to pray for me. But, but do you see, guys, this is not rocket science. It doesn't have to be sit down everybody we're gonna go and you know and like try to do Bible it's it's like y'all like there's a lot of different ways you you're, you're kind of just like throwing stuff at the wall seeing what sticks and thankfully one of the things that has stuck is my kids love when I pray and I just know that when I'm when probably when I go and they're talking at my funeral one of the things they're going to say about me is dad prayed for me but this is what as dads as you're thinking about leading your home and leading in, in like, being about discipleship in your home, not just with your kids, but with your wife as well. Is there even attempts or tries to say, how can we maybe even pray together? I, I saw this one stat. It's absolutely mind-blowing. They did a study back in the late, late 90s, Gallup did, where they took, like, 1,100 couples, and they kind of, you know, kind of checked the boxes of what kind of spiritual disciplines and practices they do as Christians in their marriage and what they actually found is is that the couples who pray together only 1% of them got divorced. 1% of couples that regularly pray together got a got a divorce. The, like the normal stat is 50% of couples get divorced and then 78% of se- of second marriages get divorced. And I'm just like, "Oh my god, what if we like as a church said, "Hey, we want to almost inevitably divorce proof." the marriages, by just doing one simple practice together, we're gonna pray for each other. How much do you, because here's the thing, it's hard to be, I mean, you can be angry at someone and pray for them. I've done it to my kids, right? Like, (laughs) you can, let's just be real, right? But when you pray, there's a self-emptying that has to take place. When you pray, you're putting your focus on God. When you pray, it's, it's like it's hard to be selfish. And I just think, like, what would change in our church, in the thermostat of our homes, if couples said, we're going to pray together every day, in the morning, at night, whatever, did you just pray together? How much different would our homes look? How much different would the spiritual temperatures in our, like, dads, what if you just prayed over your kids every night before they went to bed? Like, you know, it's, it's, it's just like, I'm not trying to give a prescription here. I'm trying to give a description of what it could look like for you to set an environment of discipleship in your home. And dads, this falls squarely on your shoulders. Because what has happened mainly is we leave the spiritual stuff to mom. Well, you take him to church. You pray. You do that. And y'all, if you see the stats of everything that changes when the man steps up and leads in his home, everything changes. The percentages of them of the kids following Jesus, the percentages of them following Jesus after high, high school, the percentage of them not being on drugs, being in teenage pregnancy, all of this stuff changes when the man steps up and spiritually leads his home. And as men of God, this is what we get the opportunity to do and what I want to encourage the men of our church to do. And here's the thing, it's more about direction instead of perfection. Some men are so scared of not being perfect, they don't even take a step towards there. And so I just want to encourage you men, don't be afraid, Christian. You go ahead and come on up. It's actually Christian's birthday yesterday. Go How old are you, Christian? Forty-one. Come on, forty-one. He don't look a day past thirty. He's got damn good genes in him. But man, what if you just took a took a step and tried to say, you know what? I know I'm not going to do perfect. I might not even pray the the right stuff. You know, it's you know God loves to hear you talk talk to him. Just think about a dad, at the end of the day, cares more about that their child is talking to them more than what they're saying. Just think about, we have kids that are like, blah, blah, blah. oh, it's so cute. I love it. You know, it's like, if you're learning to pray, it's okay to sound like that. So it's okay to train. Part of part of praying is training. I mean, I, I, I'll never forget, right? Like, i so just begin, I've struggled for years to pray in front of people, because I've stuttered. Like, I remember when I first got, say, 16, 17, 18 years old, they would ask me to pray. Oh, man, it was horrible. I mean, it's, you know, I'm standing up here talking pretty clearly, but in the early years, it was not that. It was horrible, and I used, I mean, when someone would call me to pray, I'd get so much anxiety, and I'd fight through it, and I'd stutter my way through it, and I'd feel so much shame after I was done, and so Jackson was playing in this basketball league, Liberty Basketball League, right? So they prayed before each game, and you know church basketball leagues, right? It's more about being involved than winning. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> <I'm> kid, <kidding. laughs> I'm like, we keeping score here, y'all. There's a scoreboard. We trying to win. This whole church basketball. Anyway, they were praying, they were praying, and they asked people who would like to pray, and this was coaches and stuff like that my son Jackson 13 years old steps right in the middle. I'll pray. I was about to lose it. Cuz I'm like I rem- I just like I couldn't even do that at 21. But I also think I didn't have a dad. I love my dad, but I never heard my dad pray. And I'm like of course it's easy for him. He's heard dad pray. And I even asked, I said, Jackson, man, that was really impressive, man, like that you just step in there and prayed. He said, yeah, dad, it's just prayer. <laughs> and I'm like, that's awesome. His operating system is so much different. But dads, this is what we have the opportunity to do. It's not gonna be perfect. Trust me, Jackson sees me be a psycho. <laughs> he sees the worst of me. So it's not about, Perfection. It's about direction, about taking steps. This is the ultimate call of better marriage it is like we are followers of Jesus first. We are not trying to raise up athletes. We are not trying to raise up, you know, oh, sorry. The second stat was there's a 0.0086 chance that your child will become a famous celebrity or YouTuber. But there is a 100% certainty that your child will stand before Jesus. So y'all, we, we have to cultivate a home and a place that starts with dads. is our, 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 the first goal of our home to raise up followers of Jesus. There's a difference between forcing and influencing. You can't force them to serve, to serve Jesus. I don't force my kids. I, I don't say, we're pastors. I'm a pastor. You better serve Jesus. I ain't gonna do that. We're gonna create an atmosphere to influence, to help them see how good God is. To help them see the goodness of God, to help them taste and see that the Lord is good, and ultimately they're going to make their own they're going to make their own choice. But as for me and my house, we're going to have an atmosphere. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to prioritize discipleship. We're going to prioritize. We are first followers of Jesus. This is the goal of our house. on followers of Jesus. This is what a better marriage is. A better marriage is built on covenant. We are better marriage is is a witness. And better marriage is ultimately about discipleship. Will you stand up up with me, church? Was that helpful? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message, you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.